Amen. Thank you, Greg. Picking up in Psalm 135, we're going to a little two-part series until we get back into the book of Acts. Let's pick up in verse 7 and read to verse 21, and we'll have more discussion this morning. In Psalm 135 and verse 6, we pick up in the second division, or the second application of many applications here, that we see that the Lord loves His creation, and then we see how He's a just God. So in verse 6 we read, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, He maketh lightnings for the rain, He bringeth the wind out of His treasuries. Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast? Who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants? Who smote great nations and slew mighty kings? Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land for an heritage, and heritage unto Israel, his people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not, neither is, any, neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. We see how the Lord loves His creation. Back in verse 6, whatsoever the Lord pleased, He does it in heaven. It pleases Him. What were the statements that the Lord made in Genesis chapter 1 when we read through the narrative of creation given by Moses? What did He say several times? Basically, there were benedictions that were wonderful, uh, wonderful benedictions and encouragements that the Lord said about His creation. Uh, yes. You go through, thank you, Jacob. He, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And you get to the last verse in chapter one. It was very good. It was all good, righteous, good. You want to know what's so good about that? The one thing that wasn't condemned out of all the things that the Lord had instituted was work. Adam was already working in the garden before sin ever landed on this earth. He was naming the animals. And that's why we're called to work. That's not a condemnation. It's a blessing. And it's amazing how we are all created creators. Don't we love to create? You're sitting back and you have to plan a dinner for Thanksgiving. Do you wait for it to evolve? Do you hope that it comes together in three days from matter and some big explosion in the universe? No, you're waiting. You're you're going to create it. The Lord has given you the ability, the health, the mind, the recipes, the intelligence to put together a beautiful meal like the Lord does up in heaven. That's a creation. And he creates. And he sits back and he says here in Psalm 135, and this is a psalm that's a thanks for the mercies of the Lord, just like it goes right into Psalm 136. And the Lord is thankful to us. for He's thankful for creating us. And he's pleased that we're here. That is where our purpose comes from. If you don't believe in that, if someone doesn't believe that they came from God, they have no purpose. They have no purpose at all. How can you have purpose coming from primordial slime? God's sovereign in creation. He's omnipresent. Can someone look up Isaiah 66 verse 1, please? 
and read that. We have several wonderful verses to go through today, and we'll discuss these. Where is the place of my rest? We have a God that never rests. He never falls asleep. He never falls asleep on the job, as that, that can happen, as we can see in the workplace. What if he did? <laughs> the whole universe would crumble. He has everything perfectly stationed and perfectly counted. Everything is perfectly accounted for. His books are open, and he knows where every last micromolecule is. And so whatsoever, whatsoever pleases the Lord, he does in heaven. You know, we transfer this verse, and it goes all the way to where our Lord said. You go all the way back into the book of Matthew, and the Lord says, Curse not by the heavens, for it's his throne. Curse not by the earth, for it's the Lord's footstool. For we, he reigns upon the just and the unjust. So the Lord is everywhere all at once, and we see this. We didn't see the heavens, but whatever pleases the Lord, he does in heaven. The heavens, the earth, the seas, as all his fullness therein, even in a deep place. The heavens are his throne, the earth is his. We know that in Psalm 19, 1, we read last week, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And what I find fascinating, if you take it on a more practical sense, and you look from, we transfer from verse 6 to verse 7, when it says, you read about the vapors, the lightnings, he bringeth the winds out of his treasuries. To this day, does this make sense? I mean, it might seem, may seem sound very, very elementary and very practical, but you know, I have read descriptions of religions that they speak about these weird planets that don't exist and these weird things, these weird kind of people that don't exist, legends and myths, and you read about them and they're trying to pull people in to follow them. It could be from the Wiccans, it could be from the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have these weird things. But when you go in and you read God's very word, it makes sense. All of it makes sense. This is his word. Verse 7, there are vapors. We see them. At the end of the, he maketh the lightnings. Do we see lightning around? Do we ever see lightning during? Yes, we do. We see lightnings. Do he bringeth the wind out of his treasury? Of course. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou can hear the sound thereof, because thou tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We don't see where the winds come from. Did you see where they came from last week when they were blowing trees down everywhere? Driving up Merriman's Mill Road, there was a car right in front of me in a BMW. I was driving behind them, right, I mean, seconds before we hit this hill, a great big branch came down and crashed in the middle of the road with about a 12-inch 12 um, trunk on it and just crashed right in front of them. Just missed this elderly couple in a BMW. They were well into their 80s, and we were stuck. It just missed us. And the winds came out of nowhere and blew this out, so we got out of the car. These elderly people helped. They literally helped clean. We cleaned the road up. We had a bunch of people stopped. It was kind of a neat community little thing, and we pulled the logs away, cleared the road up, you know, and we were, everybody was thanking each other, and everybody went on their merry way. One second, and that couple would have been smashed. I mean, maybe, maybe a couple more than a second, but it was that close. But that's what those winds were bringing. You heard them at night. They were howling. Where do they come from? Where do the evolutionists, no wonder they're scared to death. Where does it come from? doesn't scare me. I know where it comes from. The Lord said for that wind to blow, and he has a perfect reason for that wind to blow. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. All I know is it needed to blow, because he said it did. He says it right here in the vapors. There's the vapors, the lightnings, and he brings the winds out of his treasuries. It doesn't say out of his anger. 
It's out of his treasuries, but sometimes it does come out of his anger because he sends hurricanes and he sends things and, and, and things happen. You know, his wrath does happen and that's where we're, we're going to get into. And we see the, the greatness of his creation. Can someone look up Jeremiah 10 verse 13, please? And then someone look up Jeremiah 51 16. Earth water cycles with evaporation. We see cloud condensation, smoke from volcanic eruptions, vapors from the hot springs, all directed by God Almighty, and the lightnings for rain. Who has Jeremiah ten thirteen? Amen. Thanks, Lisa. I, that, that's wonderful. You see how the prophets agree. And then you read these same type of verses in the New Testament also. Who has Jeremiah 51, 16? That was? Who has Jeremiah 10, 13? Anybody have that one? I know. Read it. Read it again. That's it. Whoever has it, read Jeremiah 51, 16. And that's the point. How many verses are in Proverbs that are exactly alike? They're like Hebraisms. They magnify the truth of the Lord when they're perfectly repeated. It's almost bringing it to the superlative degree. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Lord speaks about the greatness of His creation. I don't know, it's easy for us to sit here and think about it. Yeah, we're Christians. But you know how many people out there think that's a joke? That, that well, we live in a 6,000, a young earth? You can't even get most churches to believe that anymore. It's an old earth. Millions of years of theistic evolution. Gaps all through the Bible. There's gaps, and anytime somebody speaks about gaps in the Bible, then they question the authenticity of the miracles. We had this problem in our former presbytery. There was a complete thesis written up where one of the men literally said that the Red Sea didn't really happen. It was the Reed Sea. And, and it, was, it was a sandbar. And it was not a miracle. I want to know how you get all those carriages with those wheels and horses through a bunch of muck. In a, in a, it, I, I've seen the sandbars down in Back River. I'd like to see you even take a, a little red wagon with a child sitting in it and try to pull them through that sandbar without them sinking all the way into the mud. It was a miracle. We don't question these miracles. Lisa. Right. I mean, the timing of the Red Sea, that alone was an incredible miracle by the Lord. Everything was timed perfectly, even to the point where Pharaoh was consumed that he had the arrogance to go into that sea when God controlled it. And he went in there and he found out the hard way he was going to win that one. Here's another one. Can we look up, somebody look up Job chapter 38, 22. See how close this one is. To, to verse 7 here. Good parallel verses. Job 38.2, we see how the Lord speaks to Job about his creation and talks in great length and tries to remind Job who's in charge here. Job 38.22. Uh-huh. Yep. 
There's the snow, there's the hail, the lightnings. He doesn't leave anything out. You go back a page, or back a chapter in Job 37 too. Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning until the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth. He thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. I want to leave this part, and I just want to, I'd like to say this. And if anybody has anything to add, please feel free to do that. What's so profound about the book of Job, and I love it when verses come in. Job is one of my favorite people in the whole Bible because we live in a world of trial, loss, and, it, in, 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 and, I, and I remember listening to a, a, a complete um, series. It was on a college-level series. It was actually it was a... It was from a college regarding how tragedy, a, a, a Christian regards tragedy as a vocation. And it's an opportunity for even when it happens to us personally to even use that to witness for the Lord. My point is, is that what, what comforted Job? I mean, I don't see too many people. I haven't seen too many people that had as much tragedy all at once in their life as Job. I mean, when it all came down to it, everybody turned against him. His children were dead. He lost his life. He, he, that's a hard thing for a man to do is to, is to lose their career, to lose their, 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 their breadwinning abilities. And before, if you read early on in Job, it talks about what a prestigious man that he was. And even in the town, people would recognize him. And he loved them. They recognized him as a man of integrity. He's reduced to a man sitting with boils with nothing but illness. And how could anybody get through that? And what I love about what brought him through that tragedy is the Lord sat, down, sat him down. It was Scripture that brought him through it. It was to talk, The Lord said, gird yourself up like a man and listen to me. Basically, he told him to sit down and shut up, keep your ears open and your mouth shut, like my grandfather used to always tell me, and listen to me. And when the Lord gets done with him, he tears him down and he builds him back up. And he says, you remember, I'm behind all of this. I know where your kids are. I know exactly where this earth is. I know everything that functions on this earth. And don't you go away from me. I want you to go. I want you to forgive your friends because they got big mouths too. And I want you to forgive them. And I want you to go on and I'm going to bless you. He has the power to do that. Why can't we believe that? Something little happens, like we get, all we get is a stupid letter in the mail, we owe extra money on taxes or something, we're ready to go off the deep end. This guy, was had everything happened to him. And this is what we, where we need to be. And the Lord is teaching us this in Psalm 135. He's showing, you don't go to the therapist, you don't sit and take the 12-step process, you get into my word, and you look at what I am. The Lord loves us. His mercy is so immense it says it in every refrain in Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. That's what He loves. He's pleased with His creation. But then this takes a turn. This takes a real turn. And the Lord says here very plainly, through, through the pen of the psalmist here, it comes with a price. I am a just God. He says, I am a just God. 
And when he goes from his creation, we read these words. He goes right into verse 8. Don't forget who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. Who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants. All throughout Scripture, you're going to read a recapitulation of what the Lord did to Pharaoh. He has used Pharaoh through the prophets. Christ himself talked about it. Pharaoh has always been a, a perfect educational tool, a manipulative that the Lord has used to show us what his power is. You're talking about in that day, there was nobody more greater and more powerful than Pharaoh and the different Pharaohs that came along. And you saw what they were capable of. And it says here, he's a just God. This is a declaration of God's judgment. Question is here, is God just? Is he just? When he rules on, thank you, when he rules on the heavenly courts, does he ever make an unfair ruling? Does he ever do anything that we could ever say we don't deserve? Amen. Considering what Jonathan Edwards says, and sinners are the hands of an angry God, we all should, all of us should be burning in hell right now, and anything less than that is a mercy. We have a merciful God. We sinned against him. Lisa. Right. That's right. Right. And so, and thank you. And so when we go from that, what that does, when the Lord puts us in our heart, when we know that we deserve it, where do we go? We go to Christ. We repent of our sins, and we know that He's just to forgive us. He's not only just to punish us, He's just to forgive us. And we read that in Scripture. Isn't that wonderful? We see the declaration of God's judgments. God is just. It's one of His attributes, and He will judge the wicked. The dominion mandate here we saw in Scripture was the sprinkling of the blood of the unblemished lamb on the posts of the lintel of the door for the Passover. The Lord is a just God, and there were those that He spared. All He said was, put the unblemished lamb's blood on the door, and I will spare your firstborn. That was His justice. But if you don't listen to me, I will kill your firstborn. And it did happen. There was wailing all over Egypt. We read about that. He said, don't do it and receive judgment. Did this come to pass? Everything He says perfectly comes to pass. And both man and beast died even the firstborn beasts. Not only is he the great deliverer in verse 9, as we read, who, spent, who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of, of thee, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his servants. He's the great deliverer. He was the great caregiver of Israel. And not only did he deliver them, but he delivered the enemy out into their hands at the Red Sea. And they were also, if you remember, what's incredible is whining. See, the Lord knew that these Israelites were going to whine murmur, complain, just like us. We're no different. That's what we do. That's why Paul came back over and over to do all things without complainings and murmurings because that's one of the most chronic diseases we suffer from. You go to a restaurant, you know, the hamburger's a little cooler than it should be. You write down the waitress's throat, take it back, you know. You know, you get, a, get the wrong drink or somebody does something, you know, we're all murmuring and complaining. Always, that's what we do. He knew that they would do that. But even though he did that, even though he knew that, 
Isn't it amazing that when they went across the Red Sea, when he said he would deliver them, that even the bodies of Pharaoh and all floated right up to their feet? It's recorded. And not only that, he gave them all their gold and all their possessions. He did this. They didn't do anything to earn it, but he gave it to them to build them up, to give them substance and, and things that they could use. And they used them. I hate to say it, but I think some of the gold was used to make that, uh, that golden calf. And that's what man does, but the Lord is a just God. Do we see any unjust judges in our country today? We can discuss that. Anybody have anything to say about unjust court cases that we've seen in the past? Anybody? Matt? Right. Yeah, that, that big... Yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, that was one. Lisa. Could forget that one. Yeah. How about what's going to happen here on Tuesday? Is that just? Anybody know what's going to happen here on Tuesday? Trump said it himself. He's getting arrested. Well, I can tell you right now, the former NYPD commissioner, who was a good guy, Bernie Carrick, he's furious. And this DA, this, this new uh, attorney, this, this DA attorney up in, NY, in, in, up in the new, no, upper Manhattan and NYPD commissioner, they're both doing this to make a name for themselves. They're both, they've both just taken power. And what they want to do is they want to be, be able to say, we're the ones that arrested Donald Trump. I mean, where are they with Hunter Biden right now? I'm not trying to make this some political Fox News. I know that. This is the, this is the pulpit here. We're talking about the Lord. I'm just trying to show. Look at the unjust nature of things out there. Matt. Sure. Right. Right, and they'll win. <laughs> you know, they have this all wrapped up. But this is the kind of God that we serve. He's a just God. He is a God that is fair, perfectly. Lisey. <laughs> right. Amen. He's, he, he's, he's right. He's right about that. Anyone else? We'll go forward here. He's the great deliverer. He's the, the deliverance we see that the Lord showed was the possessions He gave the Israelites, the manna. Even when they complained about that, He gave them quail. A pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, parting of the Red Sea. The rock was struck at Meribah. And we see the God going forward in verses, coming up to verses 10 to 12, as He is the God of banners. Jehovah Nisai is the God that battles. He is undefeated. Who can stand against Him? And we see the names of the kings that go all the way back that go forward into Numbers chapter 21 verses... If you read Numbers 21 verses 21 and then to 32, and if you go to Numbers 21 and then 33 and 35, it describes the king of the Amorites and the king of all. Isn't it amazing how none of these... Do you ever hear, do you ever see anything on the news, any world news, about the Amalekites or the Philistines or the Amorites or Bashan or Og or anyone coming up against the Israelites anymore? Is Israel still there? Is Israel still, are there Israelites today? Do you see any Amalekites anymore? Do you see any Persians? Do you see any Amorites or Hittites? They're all gone. He destroyed them all. And if there are any, they're so dispersed that then people don't even know if they were a Hittite or not. Sadly, today, people don't even know what kind of Jew they are anymore. But Israel's still there. The land's still there. 
And the Lord said to stay off of it and don't touch it. And people have tried to do that. But we see here, he's always, the Lord is always undefeated. He can never, ever, Jehovah Nisi. I love that term. Where did it come from? Does anybody remember? I can't remember the exact chapter. It's in Genesis. I think it's around, I think it's around, no, it's in, I'm sorry, Exodus, like 30, 37 or 30. But what was the incident that happened? Does anybody remember? The very first battle. Joshua. Here now, Joshua is Moses' new understudy, his new young apprentice, and he's teaching him. And all of a sudden, here Moses is and Aaron's job is to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They're going through the wilderness, and all of a sudden, something happens that the Lord deals with with King Saul later on. The Amalekites come up, follow all of these Israelites, and they start coming behind them, attacking the young people, the elderly people, and murdering them. They were cowards. And they came up and he started hurting, going and just started murdering them. And all of a sudden they had to declare war. And Joshua said, Moses, get up on that mountain. He, he, Moses loved mountains. He spent most of his life going up and down mountains. Yeah, I hope he had good knees, but he had some big mountains. He had, so he goes up on a mountain again, and the Lord says, as long as your arms are, are elevated, the Israelites will win. Remember that? And when they come down, they're going to lose. And what happened? Well, his arms started down and they were getting defeated. Joshua, get your arms up, Moses! <laughs> and all of a sudden, Aaron and another family lifted his arms up, undefeated. And Joshua goes in and defeats them. Then that was the only time you see in Scripture where the name was given Jehovah Nisi, the God of banners. That means when a banner is put up, that means you've won the war. He's undefeated. This is the God that we cry out to, that we worship and that we pray to personally. And that's what we read here. And, and here in verses 10 to 12, this is just a little compendium of all of the nations that he defeated. David over and over and over again defeated the nations. He gave their land for inheritance and heritage unto Israel, his people. And we see here that this is not only were these kings defeated, but all of Canaan as God promised to give to his people, cast out the pagans for his own. We see in verses 13 and 14, He's the eternal God. Everlasting to everlasting is our God. His name in Hebrew is El Oma. Elohim Oma. The everlasting God. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. God has no borders. He is not obligated to us. Nothing ever occurs to Him because He knows everything. Because He is ahead of that with His omniscience. Can someone look up Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, please? Perfect. Thank you, Dave. That's a good verse to memorize. That's a good one to have in your heart. You get down and you have questions about things, always remember, for, our, for in the Lord... Jehovah is everlasting strength. And it's amazing how in that verse, those words are capitalized. And that is, that is a, he, another Hebrewism showing who Jehovah is. He's everlasting. His name, His memorial, His preeminence can never be put out. Can someone please look up Psalm 145 verse 13?
Thank you, Jacob. All the kings of the earth are dead. The ones we're reading about in the New and the Old Testament, Nero, go all the way back to Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, they're all dead. Every one of them. Look at all. I saw something last night concerning America that I thought is incredible. I thought that it was said it was... How many of you ever heard of Sebastian Gorka? I think that he says some fantastic things. And what he said last night was a real awakening. We've heard a lot about America being Marxist. He says it's not Marxist. It's Maoist. We suffer from Maoism. Mao Zedong, he said, and that's worse. I mean, Marxism's bad enough, but Maoism is... That really that hits hard in the legislation when you talk about Mao Zedong. The man was a bloodthirsty, absolute tyrant. He's dead. Karl Marx is dead. They're all dead. There's still a little bit of remnants of their idiocy that's still out there, but they're dead. But where is our God? Is he dead? Our God is as alive as he ever was. Still controlling, still everything perfectly, always. He's eternal. These verses are so these verses are so important. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. So, so far in the first portion of Psalm 135, last week we dealt with praise. Why do we praise Him? Why do we go into His gates with praise? Well, I can tell you this, we better enter into His gates. You enter into His gates with praise, not because you made your mind up to do it, it's because the Lord brought you to do it, and you do it because He said to do it. You don't question it. And that's the thing that we do as Christians. He says that it's a simple reason. Why do you go to church on Sunday? You know, your neighbor might ask or somebody, why do you do that every Sunday? I guess Because the Lord says to do it. It's that simple. Praise is the first portion. The second portion is why do we praise Him? Because His creation is wonderful. And He's manifested through all of His creation. That's the second part. Then through His creation, then we see His justice. That's the third part. The justice is incredible. We just looked at that. And that's a whole study in and of itself. We could get into the confession of faith and go into all these different verses. We could be there for years. Then the fourth part, what makes him angry? I think that's a good... The way that this is formulated, the psalmist is extremely brilliant, the way this is put together in five parts. Number four, what makes him angry? What made God angry that infuriated him more than anything else? Well, it could be a kind of a dual answer. I don't want to miss anything. Number one, I'll give it away, is sin. But what was, the, what was the effects of that sin? Yes. Oh, does he hate that. He hates the worship of idols. Don't ever praise and worship man. He hates that in any form. You don't offer your, your prayers. You do not offer anything up to man you have people pray for you when they're humble and they know they're sinners saved by grace and they want you to pray for them too. But we go to God. We go to the Lord. That's what we do. He says to do it. He is infuriated by verse 15. We see 14 takes a transition. For the Lord will judge His people and He will repent Himself concerning His servants. Boy, that's an interesting verse. Take a look at that. What does it mean for the Lord to repent Himself? Does the Lord need to repent because He's a sinner? Isn't that what a sinner does? Well, remember when Moses went to God and he said, Lord, repent of yourself and spare the Israelites, the ones that had had the golden calf, and He did spare them. What it, what it meant to repent of Himself is for Him to show His mercy when He could have easily have just brought all fire down on this earth. Matthew. Right. 
The Lord's going to carry out His providence, but it was His providence to stop certain things in Scripture. And it says that He will judge His people, but He will repent Himself. Those that, those that repent and those that love Him. And then it goes into the transitional verses that shows what really angers Him. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They are, have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. It means the idols are dead, and those that worship them are just as equally dead in their hearts. Isn't that amazing? It's very important when praising our God. This portion of Scripture pronounces the distinct diversions of the true and living God and the impotent gods of the heathen. The false gods of this world is dead. These are very powerful verses. It talks about idols, kings, rulers, fabricated and revered by men are all fleeting and dead. One of the things that infuriated the Lord about Pharaoh, Pharaoh declared himself as deity, didn't he? He was to be worshipped as deity. And he had himself so high and mighty that he thought that he could take a person's life at will. And he did. He took these little Israelite babies and he had them thrown into the Nile River. So what did the Lord do? He turned the Nile River into blood. And he could have left it that way too, but he was merciful. He withdrew. That was the first plague. He murdered many, many people. And he was furious. He made himself a god. It's very difficult to imagine a more polished, smooth, charismatic, and worship ruler than the current president of our nation and his successor, the one that trained him. And I'm speaking, and I will say their names, Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden. Polished, smooth, charismatic, and worshipped. Responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of little babies. Barack Obama, four times as a senator, vetoed bills that would protect unborns after they were aborted. He vetoed that four times on the floor. So if a baby was aborted, they'd stick him on a shelf and let him suffocate. Read it. You can find evidence of that. It's, it's very easy to find. There's a, who's the, what's that name, little girl's name now? Jen Jansen? Was that her name? She was aborted, and she was actually lived through the abortion. She has all kinds of mental problems, but she's a Christian, and she fights for these little babies. That's what we have the people worship today. They worship these men. They'll do anything they say. The wisdom of this world has always been a dangerous aisle. Man foolishly tries to outthink God. He tries to, he tries to question His Word, undermine it, change it, or eradicate it. But what does Paul say about this? And I'll read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul says, all of it is bankrupt. It's nothing. It's like the bank of Silicon Valley <laughs> right now. It's bankrupt. The wisdom of this world is nothing. What Pastor Coleman has been preaching about the natural wisdom of this world, the worldly wisdom. There may seem to be some great education in it. You know, give some of the philosophers a little credit. They did come up with the study of botany, the study of... What were some of the other studies, Matt, we were talking about? There's medical studies. Right. Yeah. A lot of these electives did come, did lead to some extremely important antibiotics and things that save our lives. 
But it was, the, it was the spiritual side of that that was so evil, where God was eradicated out of the philosophical education even in today. You see, Greek philosophy, just, it just funnels all through schools today. We need God. We see that this, we, we see that what happens, the justice comes from the Lord and He infuriates Him with the idol worship. And if we go back to, find, to see the final chapter of the heathen and unrepentant sinners that hate the Lord and try to replace Him, Psalm 2.4 we read, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. And we see this all the way up to verse 18. But then it turns around and we see a benediction. Back to praising the Lord, the last three verses. And I think that this is wonderful. These final verses are a benediction, 19 to 21. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. If we're to read into this, Look at the names that are mentioned when he's talking about worship and praise. Aaron and Levi, who were they? Yeah, but what were they? What was their vocation? Right. I believe the psalmist is saying here, blessed are the overseers of God's church, the ministers, the shepherds, the one that preached, those that preach the truth. Blessed are they. And he comes back and the Lord is basically teaching us through this psalm, that blessed are those that are the overseers, the preachers, the teachers, the prophets of old, the apostles, those that kept the truth in its authenticity, in its inerrant teaching. Blessed are those. And this is a praise for God because it magnifies who is to be praised and how. And Paul says, how can you hear without a preacher? You know, we pray often, we have many different types of prayer meetings in our presbytery. We'll have one this Friday here. We'll all get together and pray. We're always praying about our little churches. The handful of little Bible-believing churches that are left that preach the Bible, God's Word, and nothing else. You know, and that's, and that's what we do. We, we, you know, that's, that's very important. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Does it mean bless the Lord, O house of Israel, just for the, just for the uh, full-blooded Israelites? the ones that were absolute Jews, and everyone else is excluded till the end day and the rest are thrown out? What did it mean to be an Israelite? Yes. God's chosen whether they were Jewish or not. That's why He brought the Gentiles in. That wasn't the case. We wouldn't be here today. Thank the Lord for Paul the Apostle and his direction of the Lord. When we get into... When we're, what we're about to get into in the book of Acts, in chapter 21 is one of the most incredible prophecies and incredible building blocks of the Christian church that you will ever read. They're all important in the Bible, but this one has a different nature to it. Because what we're about to get into is Paul is about to be taken in off the mission field, and he is about to be beaten. And he's going to be questioned by even the Christian Jews about how he was acting like a Gentile. And Paul will defend the Gentiles... He will take a purification, basically, course from four of these Jews before they beat him, and he will honor the Christian Jews and show them that he honors the old law, but he doesn't show that that's what saves them. And then the other Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, will grab them and they beat him and they lift him up overhead, literally, because they're trying to grab him and kill him in the streets. That's what we're going to be looking at when we get back into it. 
in the next two weeks. Next week, we, uh, we have another speaker. But the following week, we're going to get into that. And what we're seeing here is how the Gentiles are brought in and they are of the house of Israel. The Lord prays for that in, in John chapter 17. I pray for them. I pray not for world, but those which thou hast given into my hand, for they are mine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And that is the Christians. We see here, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel, Aaron, Levi, the priesthood, the Jews, then there is another, a universal calling. Any living souls that fear, fear the Lord. Malachi 4.2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. We see here in verse 21, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion. And here God lifts up His Son. Who is the holy? Who is the one that turns David's fallen booth up? Makes the alabasters gleam again. And brings and He restores Israel. Who's the one that right now is on the right hand and He's pulling all of this together right now? Right now as you're sitting here, if you love the Lord, your mansions are right now being ready for you. Your name's on the front of it. <laughs> The Lord's doing all of this for us, and He's going to destroy all of our enemies. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who will reign in Zion, kings of the Lord and of Lord, kings, King of kings and Lord of lords, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom we owe all of our allegiance, exaltation, praise, and worship. And it's any wonder the angels fall at His feet and sing praises to Him. We sing to the Lord. We praise His name. We pray. We recite His Scripture. That's true worship. So let's, we're going to finish there. And we have a missionary coming next week who's going to teach Sunday school class. Paul Duran will be here, Lord willing. So uh, he's going to give us an update on Chile. And he'll be, pre- he'll be doing the service also. So let's finish with prayer this morning. I'd like to ask maybe Matthew, could you close us please? Thank you.